This podcast is brought to you by eRadio. For more podcasts, check out our website on eradiosa.com or download the eRadio SA app from the Google Play Store. Enjoy. Last week we busted some myths when it comes to laser vision correction and today we're just getting into more details when it comes to LASIK. Dr. Joseph, welcome once again to Medical Monday. Thanks very much, Ian. Looking forward to another good session. Absolutely. Now today, let's go into more details. Let's start way at the beginning. LASIK, what does it mean? LASIK is actually an acronym. It stands for Laser in Situ Keratomyelusis. Now, that's a, that last word especially is a, is a, is a big one. Yeah. And basically, it means you're reshaping the surface of the cornea uh, using a laser pulse. And that laser pulse is what we refer to as an eczema laser or excited dimer laser. It actually uses a combination of noble gases, which then emits light rays in the ultraviolet spectrum. And when we look back at keratomyelusis, it basically means the reshaping. So we're using these laser pulses to actually reshape the cornea to allow the light rays to fall exactly where we want them to at the back of the eye. If you remember the session a couple of weeks ago talking about myopia and hyperopia and how we change the shape of the eye, either flattening in the center or steepening in the center uh, to, to cause the light rays to fall either forward or behind that, that point that we're targeting. Um, that's what the excited dimer laser uh, does. So, Dr. Joseph, how do you do this? I mean, how does it actually, the whole process, I've seen you standing at a machine and then you look into this little uh, lens or something. Is that the actual laser machine or not? Uh, so there's, there's two microscopes that we actually look down, Eon. And okay. um, with regards to our, our current technology that we use in the practice, we use two lasers um, that, that do the LASIK procedure. So LASIK is actually made up of two parts, two components. And the first part of the procedure is a machine which we call a femtosecond laser. So femtosecond is a quadrillionth of a second. That's the, the frequency at which this laser fires the pulses. And actually, when it fires the pulses, it creates plasma. So as opposed to uh, the previous generations of, you know, flap creators, which were actually blades or ma- what we call a manual keratome, the current way of doing it now is using a laser, uh, which delivers pulses that quickly and it and literally puts about two million little pulses or gas bubbles into a predetermined depth in your cornea. Wow. So I know this may sound a little bit graphic, but when you're talking about LASIK, you said, what is LASIK exactly? How do we do this? So the cornea, which is that clear dome or the outside layer of the eye, is exceptionally thin. It's half a millimeter thick, half a millimeter, 500 oh. microns. So that's all that we have to deal with. So what we do on the surface of this cornea is we create an ultra thin flap so imagine taking a, a, a an orange peeler okay and actually peeling off the skin of an orange right mm. so that you can see the exposed underlying fruit the the previous keratomes which were blades did exactly the same thing but they could do it to a pretty precise depth usually of about 130 to 160 microns but that was the point we only had the option to do it at either 130 or 160 microns. Modern day bladed keratomes can go a lot thinner now, but with femtosecond, what the femtosecond does, we can program it to do 90, 100, 110, 120 microns. 
we can program it to make an 8 or an 8.5 or a 9 millimeter flap. So it's a circular flap, which is actually on a little hinge. So once the laser, the femtosecond laser, has created this flap, which cons is constructed incredibly well, we can actually change the, the, um, the degrees of the hinge, for instance, where this flap is lifted up. We can make it 60 degrees, 70 degrees. We can change the length of the hinge. We can change the angle of the hinge, um, all just with computer programming. And once this, this flap has been created, it, the tissue is essentially already parted. All we need to do as the surgeon then is lift that. So as opposed to the, the old bladed way of creating the flap, it's become far more automated now, far more accurate, far mm. more precise. And, and this, in, in a sense, takes a lot of the, uh, the surgical skill out of it. Um, but that's where we're going. I mean, medicine procedures are becoming more and more technology driven. Yeah. And as I said last week, um, you know, laser vision correction or ophthalmology is one of those fields that ex is expanding at a, an incredibly rapid pace. So um, once this LASIK flap has been created, uh, we then move you under the second laser, which is the one I referred to right at the beginning. That's the eczema laser, the excited dimer laser. Now, what this laser does, and this is this is the crazy thing. I mean, it's, it's actually the science behind it is developed by NASA scientists. Wow. So, if you, if you think of the eye, the eye intrinsically moves. You know, you, you mm. can follow a target, you can fixate on a target, but when we lie down, the eye actually changes position a little bit. It turns. Mm. Um, but these lasers have been developed to be able to track you in the vertical, the horizontal, the oblique axis, and the torsional axis. So if your eye is twisting. So theoretically, you could read a book while the laser is delivering its pulses. Wow. And this laser is going to follow you. It's got a tracking system inbuilt. You can put your foot down on the switch as much as you want. But if it's, you're outside the tolerance of this laser, it's, it's not going to track you and it's going to stop the laser beam firing. That's how safe these lasers are. Mm. And, and our current day lasers uh, deliver 500 pulses per second. Sure. And before delivery of a pulse, each one of those pulses is tracked twice. So to make wow. sure that it's delivered on exactly the right point of your eye that it needs to be delivered. So just think about that. That's a thousand times in one second that that laser beam has been tracked. Mm. And as I said in, uh, two weeks ago, it's a flying spot laser. So mm. it, it, instead of this broad beam, you know, which was often depicted in the movies, like these laser beams that are yeah. fired. <laughs> this, this is now a flying spot laser. And um, what it does is as it's tracking you, uh, it's, it's watching exactly where the next pulse needs to be delivered. Uh, it's incredible to actually watch it. And, and we call it uh, photon rain. Uh, there's uh, one of our uh, photographers has actually been able to slow down the camera image enough while videoing it. And it actually looks like ultraviolet photon raindrops uh, Ooh, falling wow. onto the surface of the eye. Wow. Yeah, I would love to see that, procedure. actually. <laughs> well, I'll sure. send you a picture. I'll send you a video for sure. My word. Now, listen, you're working with incredible technology, uh, Dr. Joseph. And uh, that brings me to the next question. How has the technology changed in the last two to three decades? So about 30 years ago, the first laser vision correction procedure was performed. Uh, in the United States, um, and that was called a PRK, or photorefractive keratectomy. So LASIK wasn't available yet. So LASIK is where, as I've said earlier, we create a flap, we lift the flap, we laser, we put the flap back down. The beauty of LASIK is that it's a very quick visual recovery, so there's exceptionally minimal discomfort. Maybe the first two or three hours can be 
uh, you can have a feeling of sand or grit in your eyes and the visual recovery is exceptionally fast a lot of my patients in fact that come down for lasik if they've driven a certain distance the day after surgery if they seen well enough they drive themselves home whereas um, 30 years ago we didn't have the modality of creating a flap so all we could do was um, actually remove that ultra thin layer of cells on the surface of the eye the cornea called the epithelium and and there were different techniques of actually debriding it or removing it and then allowing the laser to reshape your eye and that's called prk so it's also a form of laser vision correction it was actually the 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 first form of laser vision correction that was developed but the interesting thing about prk is that um unlike lasik it can be quite uncomfortable for 2 to 3 days after the procedure although our uh, medication that we prescribe to you afterwards often um, helps dull that that discomfort quite significantly and uh, secondly is the visual recovery that's involved in prk uh, traditionally it's it's not a practice builder so to speak because it's uncomfortable and because it takes 5 to 6 weeks for your vision to stabilize mm. but when you look at prk um the the adverse lasik at 3 and 6 months the results are exactly the same now going back to the technology that you asked about the lasers are the the area um that has changed most dramatically mm. uh, i touched on it briefly a few weeks ago when we talked about the the previous laser profiles those initial lasers could only laser in a certain Uh, diameter so often you know about the size of your pupil if not larger and that was what resulted in those nighttime visual symptoms of possibly glare and halo and starburst etc they did what's called a broad beam laser pattern so it delivered all the laser pulses onto the cornea in one shot and it didn't actually it didn't actually profile the contour of the of the cornea very well so if you think of the cornea remember that we talked about it as being um almost like a a soccer ball shape right mm. if if you were to just laser a portion of a soccer ball you'd flatten it and it would look like there's a bump so what these new lasers do is is they incorporate into the laser profile what we refer to as a transition zone <clears throat> and this transition zone helps increase the diameter of the optical zone so the the zone through which we're going to be seeing and it essentially creates a zone that's larger than your pupil so your your quality of vision during daytime your quality of vision during the nighttime is a lot better the laser systems themselves are faster in terms of their energy delivery as well it used to start at 100 hertz and then it's at 200 hertz we've got 500 hertz pulses and lasers now so as i mentioned earlier that's 500 shots per second and some of the lasers go up to 1000 1064 pulses we've just got to be careful there's a fine line between um speed of delivery and the rate at which it heats the tissue up but that's the beauty behind the science is that the the scientists that put this together have um, been able to manipulate and tweak these machines to the point where it doesn't actually do damage to the to the eye and people think that when mm. you're doing laser vision correction you're actually burning and uh that's why they appreciate what they describe as a little bit of a smell so i tell all my patients that Uh, during or before laser you're going to hear the machine make a buzzing noise and you're going to smell what you think is a burn but it's not burning the tissue it's actually a cool ultraviolet laser so oh. all it's doing is it's causing evaporation of tissue mm. so yeah there's there's been um 
improvements in tracking capabilities of the lasers as well. As I said, you can track in all the dimensions um, and your rotational uh, capability as well. And if you've got a large amount of what's called astigmatism, uh, which is that rugby ball shape of the eye, then it's really important that the machine is tracking you to make sure that it delivers the pulses on the exact axis of your eye to take care of all that astigmatism. Because if it couldn't track you, if it couldn't know exactly how the position of your eye was, um, or what the position of your eye was, then it's going to potentially deliver those pulses off center, so to speak, and not, not mm. correct all your astigmatism or your short-sightedness or your far-sightedness. So it's, it's certainly come on in leaps and bounds. And as the technology evolves, so the nomograms evolve and tighten as well, meaning, you know, we, we collect all the post-operative data and input that into software nomograms. And every refractive surgeon that does large volumes of surgery watches their outcomes. So it's all about refining your outcomes and, 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 and getting the nomogram tighter and tighter so that your results are better and better in the long run. And I'm sure you get regular updates uh, as well about the technology and, and when there's new technology available and updates and upgrades. I'm sure you also get those updates from wherever they come. It obviously is from overseas. Well, absolutely. The, the, the two updates are actually one in the form of academics, so staying updated uh, academically and clinically, making sure that we're up to date. And uh, mm. so we do spend a fair amount of time attending the um, international meetings in, in Europe and some of the American meetings. And it's a great uh, a body of surgeons that get together, the international experts and uh, the, the top respected people in their field. So it's a great forum uh, where we can uh, exchange ideas, exchange thoughts, um, compare notes. And, and that's been the sad thing of COVID on the one hand is that we haven't been able to have those face to face. But, um, you know, we have been able to keep that up on a virtual uh, platform. And uh, so certainly from that perspective, we're, we're trying to uh, remain as current and active as possible. And, and secondly, yes, uh, the machines every now and again do have upgrades, so software upgrades. Yeah. Um, when there's a new type of laser profile that's introduced onto the laser, then those those are generally software upgrades and the technicians come in. And, and we've got very, very capable and excellent support in South Africa. Um, the, our technicians that service our lasers are internationally trained. They look after us. Um, the lasers are, are exceptionally um, intricate and, and, and need to be serviced at least twice a year. And we've mm -hmm. actually got something called log files. So we download log files after all the procedures. We send those the, to the, the uh, technicians and they actually go through those with a fine tooth comb. So if there's anything that comes up that needs to be addressed yeah. before something happens, then they're on it and they sort that out. Um, but absolutely, you know, software upgrades and, and um, part upgrades as well as all part of the, the process and, and staying current and up to date for sure. Wow, it's unreal, eh? It's just unreal technology. It's incredible. Imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years, 20 years from now. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's already interesting developments with other forms of laser vision correction uh, procedures. And I think, you know, the technology is really, really superb and we're getting results uh, that are better than normal vision already. So it does kind of blow your mind to think, well, you know, is, can it get better? What, what's next? Mm. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I trust my own technology and enough that uh, to, in this current day that if I had a problem with my eyes and I needed uh, uh, laser vision correction I would happily lie un under the laser yeah
No, it sounds like uh, it really, really goes through a lot of processes. And I like the checks. I like that it checks uh, the logs afterwards as well uh, for any inconsistencies or or so. That's fantastic. Wow. Um, Dr. Joseph, let's uh, get back to a more uh, technical question. If you can't have LASIK or you don't want to flap create it, what are your options? Okay. So the PRK, the photorefractive keratectomy, uh, as I mentioned 30 years ago, was the first type of laser profile that we used um, where we don't create a flap. We're literally just debriding that top layer of cells called the epithelium. And we, we could either do that with alcohol or with a brush. And, and now uh, the laser itself is capable of doing it. And there's a few laser platforms um, in use where we can program, we tell the laser to instead of us manually removing that 50 thousandths of a millimeter of the cornea manually, the laser does it now. Mm. It's, an, it's a no-touch, seamless, beautiful one-step technique. And on my laser platform, it's called Streamlight. Um, and once the, that surface layer of cells has been removed, it then does your treatment. So although it is more elegant in the sense that we're not touching the eye, the, the recovery is pretty similar to the PRK. You still can have some discomfort for two or three days, although some of the studies show that the discomfort compared to PRK is, is slightly less, and uh, in some studies that the visual recovery is slightly quicker. But on average as well, we, we warn these patients that you know five to six weeks is the visual recovery time. At the end of the day, we, we determine a treatment profile that is going to be safest and best suited to you. So you asked if you can't have LASIK, what 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 does that mean? Mm. Sometimes our, our patients' um, treatment is too high. So they might be a minus um, eight or minus seven, but their corneas are too thin. So they're going to be left with uh, what we'd call tissue that's not safe enough to withhold its own structure. And so then we consider a surface treatment instead. In, in corneas that have uh, some of the warning signs, we look at an incredible amount of data when assessing you for candidacy for, for a LASIK procedure. And if there are some uh, flags, we'd say to you, listen, we don't want to create a flap because if you think of the cornea as uh, scaffolding, all right, mm. when, you, when you are creating a flap, you're taking some of the scaffolding away, albeit you're putting it back at the end of the procedure, but that, that joinery of that scaffolding is never, never really the same. And then also, when you're doing laser, with the eczema laser, you're removing more scaffolding. So we've got to look at it and say, well, once we've done your laser, what, what does the safety of your cornea look like? And if we decide, no, uh, creating a flap is going to just potentially weaken it a little bit too much, then we consider um, a, what we call streamlight or a trans-epithelial PRK, so the laser doing the whole procedure itself, or a PRK. And a lot of our... Um, post-operative cataract patients or customized lens exchange patients or ICL patients, implantable contact lens patients, 85% of those patients are on target, but 10 to 15% need a touch-up to fine-tune their vision. These are, these are visually demanding patients. They've, they've got high visual expectations. Um, and if 10% or 15% are not on target, we can do either a PRK at six weeks after their surgery, or we can do a LASIK at three months after their surgery as well, if they're a good candidate to fine-tune their vision. So those are that, the alternative laser procedure, if you're not a good candidate for LASIK, is the PRK or on our platform Streamlight where the laser does the whole treatment itself. And if you're not a candidate for a laser vision correction procedure, 
And most people, if they have enough space in the eye, we will talk about this in another episode because ICLs or implantable contact lenses are uh, another another realm. And um, we can consider implanting a contact lens, and those those can go from a range of plus ten, plus fifteen, all the way to minus twenty. I mean, it's 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 hard to believe that you can have a vision uh, correction or vision error of minus twenty, but um, that basically means you can hold something in front of your eye at two centimeters in focus and the rest of your world is blurred. So uh, there's there's a visual correction option for that, whereas with laser, um, laser can can laser up to minus 12 um, according to our guidelines um, and beyond that is considered unsafe. So we've got to look at other options if you're not a LASIK candidate. But in summary, yeah, you've got LASIK and if you're not a candidate for LASIK but you can still have laser, we can consider PRK, photorefractive keratectomy, uh, or we consider uh, something called Streamlight, where the laser does everything itself. Um, and, and, and as you mentioned earlier, if some people are a little bit frightened about uh, having a flap, or if they play contact sports like um, rugby or boxing mm. or wrestling, um, you, you don't want that risk or chance of potentially uh, dislodging or getting a fingernail underneath the edge of the flap. Although with modern-day femtosecond lasers, because of the construction of the flap they are, really, really tightly sealed. Uh, we still prefer in those instances not to take a chance and we do a surface procedure instead. Dr. Joseph, laser vision correction is so commonly used to get rid of spectacles, right? But are there other applications for the laser as well? Yeah. So uh, spectacles, obviously contact lenses is another uh, mention. Um, reading glasses, uh, once you're above 40, 45, those are what we call the refractive applications of laser technology. But then we get to um, therapeutics. Now, therapeutics is a massive discussion on its own. People thought that, well, if they've got a scarred cornea, they've had a foreign body or they had an injury to the cornea, which has changed the shape, or um, they, they've had uh, something that has scarred the cornea, even an infection. We can measure the depth of those scars now, and we can use the laser to remove the scar and sometimes to, to reshape the cornea to get the optical shape of that cornea better to try and improve your vision. So, yes, in people that have had um, uh, the large foreign bodies that are in the center of their vision axis uh, that is now causing glare and halos, yes, we can consider that. Certain infections on the cornea which result in, in scars, viruses, bacterial infections, contact lens-related infections, if it's causing a decrease to the vision, we wait, let it heal, and we can change the shape of the cornea. And we can remove the scar at the same time. And keratoconus, uh, for instance. The keratoconus was long believed to be a, a disease of the cornea that we can't touch. We can't do anything, and cross-linking is the only thing that we can do. Cross-linking is where we expose the cornea to ultraviolet and to riboflavin, a solution which stiffens the corneal bonds. Because remember, we talked about keratoconus earlier being a very a weakening of those corneal bonds, mm. and the cornea slowly starts to collapse. But what we can do now is actually take the topography, so have a look at the where the lumps and bumps are on the cornea, tell the laser to smooth those lumps and bumps out to improve the quality of vision, not to get you out of spectacles or contact lenses. That's important to remember with keratoconus. It's to improve the shape of the cornea so that you can have a better fitting contact lens or a spectacle. Uh, and then we can cross-link the cornea after that as well. So there are, there are massive therapeutic uses, and we call that 
PTK, phototherapeutic keratectomy. And unfortunately, um, a lot of the medical aids are now looking at this as a, as a functional rather than a cosmetic procedure. Uh, so with some motivation, uh, we are finding that uh, we, can, we can help people. One of the, the predecessors of laser to correct something called short-sightedness or myopia was a procedure called RK, radial keratotomy. Not sure if you've heard of that, but it mm -hmm. was done um, on thousands and thousands of people in the, in the 70s and 80s, and it worked very well. But the problem is it actually changes the shape of the cornea quite significantly, and it can change the optical quality. Um, and some of them were left with scars. Oh, and, and what we do now is we can actually measure the thickness of the epithelium. As I said earlier, we can tell the laser to remove that and remove the scar to get a better optical shape and to hopefully improve their visual outcomes as well. So if you've had radial keratotomy and you've thought it's the end of the road and you're left with poor vision, um, you know, see, see an ophthalmologist, see a refractive surgeon and, and see what your potential options could be to try and improve the shape of your cornea. Dr. Joseph, as always, I want to thank you for sharing your incredible fountain of knowledge with us here on the Medical Monday. How do we get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, no, it's an absolute pleasure. pleasure. Um, so our website, www.drdillonjoseph.com, drdillonjoseph.com. Uh, our offices are based in Neisner. Our local land line number is 044-150-0085. You'll also find us on Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, and uh, we've just recently started a good uh, YouTube channel where we can, we're actually discussing a lot of the conditions and disorders, um, and uh, hopefully you can pick up a few nuggets there too. Fantastic. Looking forward to uh, next week for uh, some more Medical Monday with you, Dr. Joseph. Have a super, Absolutely. super day. Thanks. You too, Jan. This podcast was brought to you by eRadio. For more podcasts, check out our website on eradiosa.com or through the eRadio Essay app from the Google Play Store.